With us now is Miami's Director of Player Development, Jeff DeGroat. Jeff, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Kyle. Uh, Jeff, you're entering year five with the organization. And let us, by the way, congratulate you on your recent announced promotion as the Director of Player Development. But before I dive in here too far, your roles and responsibilities as the Director of Player Development are what? Yeah, so thank you for the for the congratulations. I, you know, you said year five. It's hard for me to believe that it's year five here. It's it's gone by incredibly fast. Um, you know, basically my my role here is to kind of oversee the development of all of our players in the minor leagues from from AAA down to the Dominican Republic. Um, I I do that with a great staff that we have here, an incredible group of coordinators and coaches that. Um, just do a great job handling our players and identifying individual objectives for them to get better and get to the major leagues. So, um, you know, I, I rely heavily on them and I couldn't do my job without, you know, guys like Patrick Osborne, Scott Aldred, Tom Slater, uh, Tommy Phelps, uh, Jody Reed. We have a, an outstanding, Jeff Livesey, just an outstanding group of guys with incredible knowledge and experience and attention to detail who are tireless workers um, that helped me do my job. So in, in a nutshell, I, um, and then, you know, on the other side of the operation, you have Hector Crespo, Danny Henriquez, some of our other front office members that really oversee, um, some of the logistics and other things that go into this entire operation. So just have a, a great staff. Um, and basically we all work hard and work together to make our whole minor league operation run and develop players and, and, uh, turn them into major league talent. When you say make the entire operation run and oversee the development of what are truly hundreds of young, talented players, and this is just one major league organization, what's the most stressful part of your job? Man, um, <laughs> you know, I'll, say, I'll say this, that there, there's no two days that are the same. You know, it's like you, you just never know what you're going to get. We have a, a very large staff. You know, you have four teams here in the United States, four full season teams, Jacksonville, Pensacola, Beloit, Jupiter. We have our FCL team, which is, you know, we probably have up to 70 players here in Jupiter between, you know, from extended spring training into the FCL. Then you have the DSL. We have two DSL teams now this year. It'll be our first year doing that. So there's a, you know, two 35 man rosters down there with all those players and all those staffs that are serving those players. Um, you know, a lot of things come up. You know, and and basically what I, the way I look at it is I, I work for everybody here. You know, they don't work for me. I work for them. And whatever I can do to help our staff do their jobs better and serve our players better, I'm going to do. And you just never know what that's going to be. You know, it's like it, you don't really get into a, a much of a routine because no two days are the same. And, you know, the same for the players. Whatever our players need, I'm I'm here to try and help provide that for them. So um, I guess would just be the volatility of the job. Right? You just don't know what you're going to get. Jeff, I enjoy I, I enjoy talking to folks in player development because I think it's a fascinating part of the business that man, not many people understand that they really see, but it's the key cog that puts this whole thing in motion. Um, you were a terrific college player. You played one season in the Yankee system before transitioning to the front office role. Uh, was this front office job or, or one in baseball operations in some capacity always something you had your eye on? Um, you know, to be honest with you, I wanted to play baseball, you know, and I, I, I um, of course, knew that that how competitive it is and how difficult it is to be a major league player and, and make a living on on just playing the game. 
Um, so I worked very hard at UMass Lowell to, to get my business degree as well. To say that I had it all planned out, that I wanted to transition into a front office, or I, I didn't know what that looked like. I knew that, you know, I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to pursue baseball um, from a playing standpoint after college. And I gave that my all for the year that I was there. And, um, you know, when when things took a turn there, I was fortunate enough to, to have the opportunity to transition into the front office. And at that point, it was an opportunity to stay in the game and, and use the degree that I worked so hard to get at UMass Lowell and kind of pair, um, you know, my love of baseball with, with my degree. And um, at, at that point, when the opportunity was there, I was like, man, yeah, this is definitely something that I'd like to do and pursue. But, you know, prior to that, I, I wanted to give all of my efforts towards playing and, you know, doing it as long and as well as I could. I think this is an opportunity to tell anybody out there listening that might be in high school, UMass Lowell is a terrific university that has produced many folks baseball-wide in baseball operations roles and capacity. So a terrific university to pursue that area in that particular field should you choose to do so. Um, something else that's always fascinated me, how do you get to a place as a department? I guess this circles back around to what we talked about a couple of minutes ago. As a department and a team, where you feel like you've got a good grasp, a real good handle, Jeff, on several hundred minor league players in the organization? Because to me, that seems like an impossible task. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a group effort. I think, you know, it all started over here with with Gary Dembo. And Gary had a vision for, you know, how, how this whole thing should run and having things organized and information readily available. So, you know, our, our analytics team did an incredible job building a database for us that, you know, keeps everything structured and in place so we can keep an eye on our players. You know, we basically have one stop shopping for video statistics, you know, individual player plans that have objectives. And, you know, because of all the hard work of our analytics department, guys like Gary, um, you know, it allowed they, they've allowed us to do our jobs better. Um, so I think we do it through through communication more than anything. Um, and like I alluded to earlier, our coordinators um, just do an incredible job. They're very passionate about their work. They know our players like the back of their hands, and they do that through speaking to our coaches every single day, our coaches that are working with our players every single day. And the same can be said for our coaches. Our coaches love what they do, and they love our players. And so I think, uh, you know, all of us, we have a pretty good flow and a good chain of command, and I think we all communicate well up and down that chain of command to know our players very well. And, um, you know, the better we know our guys, the better we know how to serve them. Right, and how to get them better and how to turn them into major league players. Jeff, what challenges presented themselves last season when you weren't fielding as many teams in the system anymore? Yeah, you know, I think the the biggest challenge I would say beyond just our, our guys not having a, a year of baseball in 2020, you know, like a, a whole year off for every every single player is is a lot. But I think that presented some challenges. Some guys got off to some slower starts, uh, which is to be expected and is understandable. But in terms of the elimination of our, our Penn League team in Batavia, you know, we, we had to push some guys. You know, I think if you look at our, our players that we have, we have a lot of young um, middle of the infield, middle infielders, right? And so they were kind of log jammed at the same level, at the FCL level. Guys like Jose Salas, Ian Lewis, Christian Rodriguez, uh, Sandot Santos, and then, you know, Nas Nunez, all those guys. Right. And then you, you go look at the draft. We, we add Khalil Watson, Jordan McCants, Cody Morissette, 
right? So now you have only two teams for all of these players that have, we look at as, as prospects. Um, you know, that's where that, that New York Penn League team came in handy, right? You can send some guys there that, that can get everyday regular at-bats. So we had to get creative with our playing matrices. And I think that, you know, one thing that we did was it, it actually ended up being a good thing that some guys had to play some different positions. You know, guys who had only been shortstops in years past started to get to play some second base and third base, you know. And if you look at, you know, Major League Baseball, the, the more versatile you are, the more athletic you are, the more value you have. And especially with shifting and everything that's going on, you need to be able to play in different areas of the field. So, you know, I think it, it, it became a challenge. Uh, it was a challenge in the beginning, but I think we we – did a nice job pivoting and finding a way to make sure that our guys were getting regular at bats um, at a level that they were prepared to compete at. When you talk about placement, how do you, over the course of the spring, and that's probably naive because this probably happens all off season long and you might take a day off for Christmas and the holidays, uh, but how do you put together rosters throughout the entire system and say, okay, and I understand the logical pro- progression when you go from low A to triple A, and obviously the levels get better as you go, but but how do you determine he's going to start here and he'll go there, and this feels like the best fit for us to start 2022? Yeah, you know, I, I would start by saying it's not me doing it on my own. It's a it's 100% a collaborative effort between sure. our coaches, coordinators, our analytics department, um, and then front office members, Gary, you know, I think we have a, a ton of experience here who have seen a lot of players um, throughout the course of their careers. And they've seen how things have transpired over the course of time. So, I, you know, I think we, we basically we, we have some loose projections in the offseason based off of how guys performed at certain levels, um, how many at bats or innings, you know, how much experience they had at certain levels um, in prior years. I think that information is always useful. Um, but then, you know, as guys report in spring training, you're always looking at what kind of shape they're in, you know, how they look mechanically, physically, um, where they're at mentally, all of those things come into play. And, you know, fortunately we get three weeks, it looks like it might be this year, three weeks of games in spring training, which is a good time for us to evaluate and see how ready guys are to, to start the season. Um, so I, you know, I don't think, I think spring training performance, in my opinion, you know, is is a little bit more uh, important at the minor league level okay. in terms of where it starts certain guys than maybe it would be at the major league level. You know, if Mike Trout shows up and has a has a poor spring training for the Los Angeles Angels, like he's still going to be hitting third and penciled in. You know what I mean? Sure. So because of the track record he has at that level, you know, if if he goes over for the spring, like he's still Mike Trout. He's still going to be playing on opening day. Whereas, you know, in, in minor league guys who don't have that track record or whatever, it, 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 it tells us a lot more, I would say, about where they're at at that point. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Can you distinguish for me the difference between major league managers and minor league managers? Because, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, when I view a major league baseball manager, 
their goal is to put 26 guys in the best position to win. All they care about truly is winning at the big league level that night and chasing a world championship. But in the minor leagues, to me, I've always thought, you know, you're, you're dealing with personalities, you're dealing with prospects, you're you're handling guys that have the ability to take the next step in their career. What differentiates a minor league manager from a major league manager based off of, I guess, what I'm asking would be roles and responsibilities? Yeah, you know, I'd say there is a lot of similarities, but there are some distinct differences. You know, we, we actually had this conversation yesterday in terms of the similarities, like you still have to manage your clubhouse. You know, right. you still have a, an entire staff that's looking, you know, pitching coach, hitting coach, defensive coaches, uh, trainers, strength coaches, they're all looking to you to lead them, you know, and set the culture in the clubhouse and the direction of the team. All that stuff is still in place in the minor leagues. And the same, all the players look to you too, right? Are you going to hold players accountable to our standards? All of those things, I would say, are, are similarities between a major league and minor league manager. You're leading the clubhouse. Right. You're setting the culture of the clubhouse. So the differences to me are kind of some of the things that you alluded to, maybe some in-game decisions and, you know, handling a bullpen a certain way or whatever, you know, handling starters a certain way, right? Like in, in the minor leagues, we are never going to sacrifice a player's development for the sake of winning games, right? Like we, we want to win. And I think the, the better we develop our players and the more uh, skillful they are, the better players they are, we're naturally going to win more games. But at the end of the day, like it's our job to develop players so they can help us win at the major league level. That's it. Right. Right. We're trying to we're trying to help our guys reach their ceilings. And, you know, some of the decisions we make in terms of constructing lineups or bullpen pitching usage, um, in-game decisions, it's all geared towards developing players. Um, and again, the better we develop players, the better players we're going to have, the more we're going to win in the minor leagues ultimately. But, you know, if I sit here and ask you, you know, who won the 2017, you know, PCL championship? You probably couldn't tell me, sure, right? Like, but you could tell me who won the World Series in 2017. Right. So it's it's our goal to develop players so we can help we can win championships at the major league level. The Miami Marlins director of player development, Jeff DeGroat, joining us on Around the Horn. Where's the fine line between winning and developing? Because you could have six top ten prospects in AAA, the team could win 60 games. But is there a part of this? And I feel like you've talked about this before, or maybe Gary has. You still want to breed a culture of winning because guys are going to know what it's like to win when you get to the big leagues. Where is, where is that line between we had a great year in AAA, but we didn't win enough, and we had a great year in AAA, and it ultimately resulted in these guys knowing what it feels like to win? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, like the players playing the game, they're, they're playing the game to win. Right. You know what I mean? When they're on the field, they're, they're playing to win. You know, I, when I pitched, although it was for a brief time, there was never a, a, a hitter I faced that I wasn't trying to get out, you know, or there was never a time I, I stepped on the mound and I wasn't aware of the score or the situation, how many outs there were, how many innings there were, what hitter I was facing, what, you know, where he, where he was in the lineup. Like, you're still aware of all those things, and we're still teaching our guys how to win a game. I would just say in terms of some of the decisions that we make as a staff. Right. Right. That's that's where it's more geared towards development, you know, where we may at the lower levels have a pitcher who we're really trying to develop his change up. He may have a really good slider and there may be certain counts or certain situations where it's like, yeah, if he could go to a slider here or throw two sliders in a row and probably punch this guy out. But we know that if he's going to be a successful major league starter, he's going to need to 
develop his changeup and improve mm-hmm. that pitch. So we're going to force some usage of that, right? So down the road, he can compete better at the major league level, right? Like you're still trying to throw a good changeup and get the guy out, but certain things like that, right? It's like we're we're trying to win the war, right. not the battle, right? And so that's, I, I hope that answered your question. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just it does. It feels like there's a balance where you are developing guys and the ultimate goal is to get in the big leagues. But it's always good at some point that they've had success and they know they know what it feels like to win as a team and maybe even a, a championship at the minor league level. But Jeff, last week, I had an opportunity to chat with Adrian Lorenzo. Obviously, you work very, very closely with Adrian. And I asked the same question, but I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Um, we so often in the media tout highly ranked prospects and understandably so, given their skill set, their abilities. And, and we then I would say form opinions based off of what we see and hear about them. How hard is it for you personally when a highly ranked prospect never could or can get over the hump and make it to the big leagues? And as a staff, maybe that's not just personal, but. Yeah, you know, I I would say this, that the way that we look at it, you know, once they become Miami Marlins, right, we treat them all the same mm-hmm. and we treat, we treat them all fairly. Right. And they, we're going to, we're going to treat a, you know, post-draft sign the same way that we're going to treat an international sign. They signed for $3 million. You know what I mean? They're all Miami Marlins. They're all work. It is our goal as a staff to develop them to the best of their ability, mm-hmm. the best of our ability, so they can reach their ceilings and, and turn them into as good a player as they can possibly become, whatever that is for them. And so, you know, I, we, to me, it's like, I, I feel like, we we're going to do that. I know our staff's going to do that. They know what our standards are. So if a guy doesn't get to, you know, what we thought or the industry thought he should have been, you know, I think we still know that, that we gave it our best effort, you know, is that we, we did everything we could to serve them. You know, of, of course, like we want to turn everybody into a major leaguer. And if, if we're not satisfied, if we don't, you know, like you, you, you do feel like, you know, man, you look back and it's like, what could I have done to help this player a little bit better? Or what could we have done to serve this player a little better? You know, and you, you go through an evaluation process of that always to reflect and say, and, and learn from it. So in the future, you can, you can serve for future players better, you know, who might have, you know, certain similarities, but, you know, I, again, I, I would say that it's, it's um, we, we serve all of our players the same. We do everything we can to develop every player to the best of our ability. And, um, you know, I think some of that helps us rest easy at night, knowing that we, we treat everybody the same way and um, try to get them to be the best player they can be. Jeff, last one for me. We're going to let you run. But as we sit here at the end of January, you in the last couple of days and your staff uh, and the entire department have kicked off the prospect, the minor league camp, the portion of the camp where certain individuals have been invited up to Jupiter. And these are guys that are going to be there uh, really throughout the spring, maybe a couple of days off into their minor league spring camps. Can you tell me a little bit about what you guys have going on? Uh, And I guess the reasoning behind those guys being there now in late January and what you're hoping to accomplish. Yeah. So, you know, up until this year, we've, we've always had an instructional league at the end of the year um, after the season, right. in the September, October range. Um, And we've played games against outside competition. I think what we saw and one thing we learned uh, prior to the 2021 season is we had some pitchers like Max Meyer, Zach McCambly, Jake Eater, Kyle Nicholas, who's now a Pittsburgh pirate, you know, they were here in Jupiter early, right. And they were here building up and, um, by the time they got the minor league spring training, they were already built up to five innings and wow. had a lot, they've faced a lot of hitters and they had a lot of things, 
under their belt. And really once the season started, they hit the ground running and they got off to great starts. They stayed healthy uh, with the exception of Jake, but they, they stayed healthy throughout the year. They, they made all their starts and did a great job. They finished strong. And so I think, you know, that the idea of having our guys gaining momentum, right. Going into the season. And then when the season starts, they've already got a lot more at bats uh, and they've, you know, hitters have a lot more bats pitchers have faced a lot of more hitters under their belt to where when they start the season, they're starting it in mid season form. Right. And they're ready to roll. And so I think that this, this structure and this framework is really going to allow us to get off to a strong start. But I also think that, you know, we understand that it's a long season. We're still in January right now. We're facing hitters that we have a nice, you know, slow buildup and progression leading up to the start of the season to where we're not burning our guys out. Right. We're cognizant of that and we're keeping their bodies fresh um, so they can make it through the entire long season. Right. It's, it's very demanding on them physically, mentally. And so that's, that's all things that we're taking into account here. Um, but we kind of decided to push our instructional league from the end of the year. You know, after that long season, these guys are tired. They want to go home. And we just felt like we're giving, giving their time at home, let them recover, let them get themselves into a great place physically. And then once the new year hits, these guys are ready to go. Yeah. You know, they're chopping at the bit. And um, we feel like we with the, the focus and energy level that we're getting out of our players, the effort has been uh, has been outstanding. And um, we're really looking forward to, to the rest of this camp, spring training and the 2022 season. So again, just in terms of some of the stuff we're, we're doing here now, we got live BPs going on. Uh, we got the first pitch in six minutes here. And then, uh, <laughs> and then uh, you know, we're going to progress into some inter-squad games and, and things of that nature prior to the start of even minor league camp against outside competition. You're down to about five. I'm going to let you run. Outstanding. Good stuff, Jeff. I really appreciate the time, and I look forward to doing this again soon. Thanks, Kyle. Nice to talk to you.